This call is being recorded. You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covered in Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. You know, we told you guys, you know, look, Wednesday night, the maintenance, we were going to take a night off. You're still going to get your five, if not six, if not seven. Um, there, there were other guys I wanted to bring in, um, you know, another guest on the show, but with all that went on over the off season and there were, you know, didn't want to bring certain guys on just for speculation. Let's get guys on now. People are here. Let's talk to them. You know, so part of the OBR, part of Bleacher Report, an integral part over there. Uh, it's been a while. Brent Sobleski. Brent, first things first, you know, it seems when you come back, it always seems like we're doing these state of the unions. <laughs> and before we get any further, everybody Browns wise, y'all, we all might want to fight, piss and moan and argue about everything. Here's one we can all agree on. Swagger going north. That's a tough one. Look, dogs are great. Dogs are awesome to see a six-year-old dog have to go. Not good. Not good. But, Brent, we're going to talk some ball. We got a lot to talk about. Lots of changes. And it always seems it's always, you know, renewal time here, so to speak, in Cleveland. <laughs> uh, where are you at, Brent? Well, I, I'm first of all, thanks for having me, as always. And I made a joke this offseason that it seemed like there was a better class of candidates available for the Cleveland Browns job. Well, the only reason anyone would notice when there's a better class compared to the previous year is because the Cleveland Browns are the only team trying to hire someone every off season. Now I got that out of my system. I feel a little better. And what I stress throughout, throughout this entire process, and you, and you can verify this, Jeff, is when I came down to what the Cleveland Browns were trying to achieve, not to let anyone get too attached to certain candidates because that was never the point. It was never about Josh McDaniels versus Kevin Stefanski or Eric Bianami or any other of the candidates along the way that someone may have liked or preferred over the other. The reality is that what ended up becoming a buzzword is something I've discussed for years, alignment. Alignment was crucial to create a synergy and a top-down philosophy throughout the organization. This is stuff that I've preached for years, literally years because one thing since the Jimmy Haslam era began that created derision and had multiple festering situations based on backstabbing between multiple parties within the organization was what I like what I termed Jimmy Haslam's boardroom approach meaning he had heads of all his heads of his department really um coming to him for any problems there was no real chain of command and in football it's much like the military there's there's an adherence to the chain of command and who is supposed to take on the shoulder of responsibility. And that was lacking in Cleveland for multiple times. So you see derision between um, uh, Banner and Mike Lombardi. You see, uh, as you move on, you know, from now the De Podesta into Dorsey and every point between those, those two regimes that there were problems between multiple heads of the departments. That's why this, this hiring cycle is so important. And so when you hear Josh McDaniels decided to bow out of the job or that they didn't want him for the position, whatever you choose to believe occurred, the reality is his vision did not fit where the organization wanted to go moving forward. And that's okay. That's fine. As long as you have everyone on the same page pulling in the same direction for the first time in the Haslam era, that's a positive step in the right direction. And I believe they achieved that to a degree when you have Paul B. Podesta, who's going to set the guardrails for the organization, who's going to put together the parameters of how the organization is going to operate. 
Then you have to have the execution by a general manager that seems team building in the same point of view and a head coach. He is intertwined with making those decisions when it comes to roster and personnel. And so it may not be perfect. It may not be what everyone wanted. It may not even be successful, but this is the closest thing we've come to seeing what Jimmy Haslam really wanted for this organization, his vision for it, and everyone working together with similar values and viewpoints. And to me, that's the most you could have asked for throughout this entire hiring cycle. And th- this is like some of the things I've joked about with in, in yeah, where you want it definitely on the same page, but like, even if they just said, and you want to know what we're going to sit down and every decision we make, we're going to consult the magic eight ball. Who cares? <laughs> at least that's a plan. It's at least a legitimate plan. There had never been one before. And, you know, look, and, you know, and I tell, you know, all, tell the fans, look, yeah, I mean, the, you know, Jimmy gave out length on these contracts, which hopefully gives you the, at least the comfort level of, all right, well, he's not going to pull this one and change his mind again in 13 months. Um, maybe that's why ticket prices went up yesterday. There's still a lot of people collecting some checks around here. <laughs> that's probably why season <laughs> tickets went up yesterday, guys. I apologize. And that's probably the reason is because some people are still getting a good chunk of change out of the Haslam's. Um, start with, uh, with coach Stefanski and, I do believe this this whole race, and I, it's fantastic. And that was one thing where, you know, Jimmy Haslam told you two days after New Year's Day, it's going to be a long, drawn-out approach. We want to speak to a lot of people. And, you know, your typical whoever, fans, some certain media, five days into it, they don't have a coach yet. They don't have a coach yet. They don't have a GM yet. Um, you know, it's just typical after they told you it was going to be a long, thorough, deep approach. But Kevin Stefanski, and obviously it was Kevin versus Josh McDaniels, it was. And when Josh basically tells you, like you said, when his last few minutes in the building is, well, Jimmy, I don't really want these people anyway. So basically he said, I, I, I don't like the vision that you have. I'm coming in here with my own plans. But, you know, and Coach Stefanski, it got weird because nobody thought he was going to pull, they were going to pull that game out, obviously, in New Orleans. But you get this guy and he's young and... He uses both sides of it and uses it in unison, which is huge because it's great to have analytical minds in there. But if you're going to ignore it and not look for the warning signs when you say, oh, I love this player. And meanwhile, analytic folks are saying, well, this is maybe why we shouldn't. But at least, you know, the decisions will be made. And there's going to be times which I think are going to be interesting that we'll never know about. Any one of these guys can be looking at a draft prospect and say, you know what? I bet you're going to like this guy. You should check this guy out. And because when you think and you use all of it, the information at hand to make educated guesses, you want to be around like-minded individuals in that respect. Yeah, it's something that it's been so vastly misconstrued, not only by the fans, but from, let's face it, and I'm not trying to put anyone on blast, but the reality is the local media has had a misunderstanding of what, an analytics-based approach is to modern football. Analytics permeates every single organization. It's not the boogeyman where a team sits down and lets the computer spit out the results of a program to make decisions for them. That is not how it works. It works in conjunction with a scouting-based approach, and that's exactly what Andrew Barry tried to stress. And so I one of the things I took most from his – his press conference is when he opened 
publicly stated that, and it, you knew he was doing it to cut this all off at the pass, that the most successful organizations in football today are analytics-based. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that they're sitting there looking at the numbers and that's all that's going to make that, that results in decision-making. No. It's all about making the right decisions and the most informed decisions. Jeff, you, you stated that purpose uh, per- perfectly. And for scout, the irony is this. For those who don't understand NFL scouting or the entire process when it comes to making these decisions, is it's always about information. Information is king. The more information you have on a player, whether it be statistics or background or personality or skill set, all of these are taken into account when they're when they are when you fill out your entire scouting report. The more information you have, the better you are to make the proper decision. And when you look at combine numbers, those are analytics. When you look at what what Paul Brown used to do with the Cleveland Browns, those are analytics. The, you know, numbers mm-hmm. and tendencies and everything along those lines are all part of this data-driven approach that people seem to be scared of, and it's it's. It's to me, it's bred out of ignorance of how the NFL operates today. And you can give examples. And uh, like I said, Andrew Barry did. Let's use the Philadelphia Eagles where he was previously. They have a uh, someone from their quant team on the coach's headsets, so he can provide information to give the best possible play in any particular situation. That they use that all the way to winning a Super Bowl. So why so many people in Cleveland are so scared of what occurs? with that potentially being part of the process, blows my mind. Why Cleveland failed had nothing to do with straight numbers and analytics. It had to do with a divide between a general manager who struggled in his normal talent evaluation and a head coach who was completely awful at his job. And then there was men fighting between those two and gaining the ear of the owners. All of that was just an awful festering situation during a point when you need to be unified because you know and rightfully stated outright that you're going through a rebuild and it was going to take a few years. And so what could have been, you know, six wins, five wins in two years end up becoming one win because they they made the worst out of a possible situation. To me, when you shout one and 31 and think it's a mic drop, you're an idiot. I'm sorry. It's the absolute truth because you're not understanding the full situation and the ramification that was going on within those buildings. And you're trying to, make something that wasn't simple far simpler than it actually was and what led to all that. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack, Jeff. You know this. I'm, I'm sure you discuss it every single day. But to me, it's just it, – it's it's. I feel like Sisyphus at times, especially on social media, <laughs> where you're constantly talking about these things and trying to do so intellectually and trying to do so from a, a, a detached point of view – and people are just coming at you and screaming at you and, and yelling one in 31 at you and analytics yeah. and how they're going to fail and Sashi Brown. And it just doesn't really encapsulate where the Browns are going or, or their approach compared to other teams in the league. Well, and the other thing, and one that I love is, you know, Andrew Barry is forever attached to the time he was here with Sashi Brown. But he was not here for anything that went on with 2018 where the team went 7-8-1. <laughs> Apparently, you know, maybe the, he was just, you know, standing in the corner, you know, and they put a lampshade on his head and just, this is what you're going to do this year. You guys yeah. don't know. It's his fault. Yeah, it's his fault they went 1-31. and The yes. five times they made the postseason when he was with the Colts, and the last year when he was with the Eagles, they made the postseason. Those don't count. 
It's only that, that two-plus years he was in Cleveland that we should pay attention to because that's the only thing that matters. See, that's, that's the thing that bothers me. So while we see and can discuss this rationally, then you see headlines. And, I mean, let's be fair. As a writer, I know for a fact editors write headlines. So those who don't know that, please take that into consideration anytime you read one of my articles and get pissed off simply by reading the headline. But when you have, the, when you have inflammatory headlines like, I'm going to use an example. I'm not going to call out who wrote it or from what from from uh, what newspaper, but it came down to Andrew Barry said all the right things, but he can never get the one in 31 stink off of him. Why? Stench. Why? Why? The There's literally yes. no reason for that. I mean, that's completely uncalled for, and it's an indirect shot. And a lot of it, to me, derives from you. And the way I look at it is this. <laughs> Most people were upset because – and I want to go back to a previous point I made. They didn't get the guy they, they wanted most, whether it be Josh McDaniels or someone else throughout the hiring process. And because they didn't get the guy they felt was best for the situation, they automatically think that whomever was hired was the worst possible choice. And that's, and that's the black and white society that we live in today. If you're not with me, you're against me. And everyone's fighting to be right and not be – and, and not work towards a communicative solution and discussion towards the, to what's actually happening in reality. And so that's that, all these things that I'm discussing, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. I, I know there's, because I, have, I haven't had an opportunity to really get into this discussion hot and heavy uh, with anyone completely Brown-centric. But looking at this team and thinking to myself, why are they better with Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry than they were with John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens? And the, abs- the answer is 100% absolutely yes. Does, does that mean they're going to be successful? No, I have no clue if this is going to work. Let me say that again. I have no clue if this is actually going to work in their favor. But if you <laughs> rather, if you point to those two situations and tell me all the circumstances based around them, which one I would pick, I would take the new direction 100% of the time over the old one. And that's because we know where John Dorsey stands. We know what happens with Freddie Kitchens. And they were never, never aligned like this one has the potential to be. And, and, and just one more here, and, and I agree with you, and it's because it's going to be from top to bottom all on the same page. And everybody were, oh, my God, there's going to be an analytic guy. Um, the analytic guy is going to give you something as simple of if you're going empty here on third and nine, there's a good chance they're bringing six or seven. That's literally what they do. That's it. It's mm-hmm. a 67% chance. That's it. Yeah. It's not like, you and know, now we call it, that it, analytics, right, Jeff? We call yes. that analytics now. But when I worked on a coaching scouting, in the early but 2000s, they were called tendencies. You know, yeah. tendencies became analytics. It's just, you know, you got to put a, every now and then you got to put a fancier word on things. We're going to get to more here with Brent, obviously, on Locked On Browns. Guys, Browns gear, I always tell you, uh, look, I love you all and I'll help you all because, look, everybody's trying to make some money. My guys, uh, my fo- uh, folks over at Zabo Apparel, uh, veteran. Uh, now, this is what he's doing. He's got two children serving actively in the armed forces. I love their gear. It's quality, it stands up to a wash. Um, and in the summertime, I sweat like a pig and things, these things still look good. Um, check out Zabo apparel, 50% off as Valentine's coming up. Valentine's day is coming up, coming up here. So check out Zabo apparel.com at Zabo apparel on social media. 
S-Z-A-B-O, Zabo. Uh, good folks, quality product. All right, Brent, stay to the team. Um, and, and it's weird because there's the big, big media. Then there's our circle. And it's funny because a lot of us are usually always on the same page. And we take the ration of crap for it. And we're the one doing the dirt work. Like, we know all these free agents. We know all these draft prospects. But, you know, somebody who may have three initials that writes for a, a snappy.com website. Oh, we'll tell you, you know, April 16th. Oh, this is a really nice offensive tackle that the Browns may be interested in. Or they'll tell you in the beginning of March, ooh, here's a safety who may fit the Browns' needs. When we probably already told you this four or five weeks ago. Brett, I maybe start with it from the free agent side. Look, and it's weird to say this because the roster looks so much better going into you know the last year, couple of years. And now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, and there's cap issues and there's some positional groups where there's some really glaring holes. Well, I think when you look at it, it's not necessarily that there isn't talent on the roster. We know there is. We know this isn't a complete rebuild, and I'm appreciative that that they stated this outright during the most recent uh, round of media sessions that to ease some of the tensions people thinking. And, and again, this is this is wrong-headed thinking, but it's out there, and it's one of those one of those issues that had to be addressed. That as soon as these guys stepped in that they're going to start tearing it down again. They're going to trade guys away. They're going to emphasize getting draft picks. That's what you do when you start a rebuild. That's the whole point. You gain assets, both draft and financial, to create the flexibility necessary to go and obtain the talent that you need to become competitive. So once you get beyond that point, and which is where Cleveland currently is, now that you've uh, now that you've collected talent, and, you, and, and that's what John Dorsey did. He collected talent. He didn't build a team, and I'm going to state that outright. Now that you have this collection of talent, you have to mold it into a team and accentuate the skill sets you already have on the roster. And that's where I think the hire of Kevin Stefanski in particular is going to be beneficial and because he is someone that has been proven both throughout his career that he can work with multiple different coaching staffs. He can work with all kinds of different players. He can work with different positions and he's worked with different schemes. So it's a tip of the cap to him to see how he's able to com- consistently adjust. And what do we talk about all the time, Jeff, when it comes to what a coaching job is? It is to put your players in a position to succeed. It sounds simple. It sounds cliche. It's used all the time. Yet it happens so very little in so many instances, especially at the professional level, where so many want to shoehorn guys into their vision instead of fitting, uh, instead of changing their vision to fit what you have in, in tow already. So, Looking at it, you're correct in stating there's still some holes. And we knew there were going to be holes. Like, offensive tackle has been a hole for or two years, and I'm talking both sides. And if you don't, if you think otherwise, you weren't paying attention in 2018. Now, beyond that, you now you have to worry about contracts. So, Joe Schobert, where is he going to be at? Is he going to be someone that's negotiated early on the back burner or not a priority at all? That's a major domino to fall. Safety. You don't have a starting caliber safety on your roster. You have Demarius Randall, who is a free agent. You, we expect Morgan Burnett to eventually be a, a salary ca- casualty. 
Um, and so that that point, you're stuck with Sheldrick Redwine and Justin Burris. Look, they both flashed last year, but you're not building your roster with any intention of them being your starter. You just hope they develop long-term. The one the, the positions you have to start looking at that become more concerning are the ones that you expected to play better this past season and didn't develop. Let me use a prime example, Larry Ogunjobi as one technique. Larry had the potential to be a very good disruptive interior presence, but he didn't become that player on a consistent basis, and he's dealt with injuries. So what do you do when you bring in a Joe Woods and you know that they're not going to be a – or you don't expect the Browns to be a blitz-heavy and pressure-package-heavy defensive scheme. You want to get your pressure from your front four. This is where San Francisco absolutely shined. And I'm not saying that Cleveland can automatically turn into San Francisco because the 49ers have the best front five, excuse me, front four with five first-rounders on their defensive line. (laughs) But you can get more from the position. You can get more from Miles Garrett when he's in the lineup. You can get more from Sheldon Richardson. You can get more from Olivier Vernon. All three of them played very well in stretches last year. But where's that gaping hole now at? Right in the middle of your defense. And Larry Ogunjobi, who I thought a year ago was a slam dunk for an extension, may not even get to his next contract in Cleveland. That's how poorly he played at points last year. So where are you going to get that? Is it going to be someone in defensive uh, in the free agency, by the way, which is absolutely loaded with talent at defensive tackle, maybe the deepest position in all the free agency? Or are you going to wait till the draft and maybe surprise people at number 10 with a Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw? And so these are the prioritization that, that has to take place here in the coming weeks and where the team plans on building their identity. That's just one example. Tight end's another one. You even look at wide receiver. You're going to need, you're going to need, going to need a Y opposite Odell Beckham if you don't side Rashard Higgins, which, again, was a guy I would have swore up and down was going to get an extension at some point. So – and then now throw Kareem Hunt in there as well because we don't know where they stand as an organization if this was truly a no-tolerance policy once they signed him to that last deal. So now you're looking for a quality backup running back as well. So take all those places we knew were weak spots that, that people felt could be addressed this offseason. Add a few more into the mix. And even though you have the most talented roster probably since the return, there's still a lot of work to be done. And all the all the chatter you hear throughout the league is, and we heard this a little bit through the hiring process that they're not as close as they think they are. Well, they're not, and, but they can still be a playoff squad if they make the right moves this whole season. Yeah. And like, that was like the, in the weirdest thing. And like, you know, Larry Ogunjobi and, you know, he's got this, his, you know, fight against, you know, childhood obesity and all this stuff, but he got himself so slender to the point where it wasn't helping. He looked more like an edge than he did a defensive tackle. You look at the wide receiver position, and we were having conversations in the summer like, how is everybody going to be involved? You know, Callaway had a great, you know, great rookie year as far as production. And Rashard Higgins. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, we have two wideouts, and we're going to throw out Jamie and Ratley and Carterell Hodge, who were essentially, you know, great special teamers who can do some things to the wide receiver position. The tight ends, they ended up with like a room of like everybody was like the same guy. And you kept hearing, you know, like David Ajoku apparently just had to be the brunt of, well, he can't block. None of them were any really good blockers. I mean, most of them were all college wide receivers. And, you know, with their builds and their, where's the big guy? You know, well, Darren Phelps, I'll always go back to that one. 
but there were so many <laughs> things that just like came through the involvement of the season. And it was, you know, and like, it was like John blaming players for not stepping up where if you did analytical research, it'd be like, well, maybe this is only who this guy is. If the guy wasn't a great blocker at the collegiate level, it's hard to fathom that we're going to make him a great blocker at the pro level, take players for what they are and, you know, you know, understand, yeah, there's some growth, but there's not major growth. It's going to be interesting, especially with the tight end position for, for as the, the example here, because when you look at what Kevin Stefanski is bringing offensively, no team ran more plays with two or more tight ends on the field than the Minnesota Vikings last year. So that's obviously a key ingredient within what they want to do schematically. David Njoku can still be used. He can still be developed. He can still be very effective, but he's not going to be the guy that's going to be the inline blocker. And we know this. We understand that's not his game. We understand that he's going to be better either backside and 12 personnel on the wing or H-back. And so knowing that, now as an organization and as Andrew Barry, as you sit down and talk with your coaching staff, now you're looking for that inline tight end. It's not going to be Demetrius Harris. It's not going to be Ricky Seals-Jones. That's not where they really excel because – if anyone wants a prime example of, of how this system can work with a great tight end, you, all you have to do is look at San Francisco and what they do with George Kittle. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go out and draft or assign the best tight end of football, which George Kittle is, but how he approaches just the blocking in his scheme, the way he can get the hook blocks on the end, running the zone stretch, allowing the running back to get out towards the outside of the play and so that they don't have the force players necessary to bring him back inside to where all the defenders are flowing. And so knowing that, now you have to find those guys who potentially fit into what you want to do. And I know that's oxymoronic to what I stated earlier, where you have to be able to adjust to the talent available to you. But when you have core plays that you set up within your base, and that's going to be what you want to do offensively, you can keep someone like Njoku, who's not necessarily the best fit, utilize him in a different manner while going out and addressing the position still in the draft or free agency. You look at a guy like Kyle, or excuse me, Cole Komet from Notre Dame, Adam Troutman from Dayton. These are guys that you can put in line that can be highly effective as both blockers and receivers and still accomplish the same goals you expected to, even while keeping the one guy most people don't think is an ideal fit. And so to me, that's, that's going to be the difference in how we see this team operate and how this regime works as a collaboration moving forward. If we're seeing guys much like we saw in previous years where they don't quite fit, they don't know how to use, they're not being developed correctly, they're just being forgotten or left to the wayside or, you know, I, I don't know, healthy scratches during game day despite their talent, then you know there's an issue. But if they're doing these things and putting guys in different places to take advantage of what they can do, then you should get a start getting a feeling week by week that maybe – the Cleveland Browns got this right with the right people. And that, and that's where I think a lot of people miss in this entire process. They were so intent on that specific person or how the setup is that you have to realize that this is – when you go to become a head coach and you go to become a general manager first time, no one knows what to expect fully. These are individuals. And the jobs they're coming from were completely different than what they're what's stepping into. It's a trial by fire. Some – are fantastic. Some of them take time to develop. Some of them are complete failures. But you won't know that until you reach that point because that's the way the narrow pathway the NFL creates to be to be um, to get to that point in, in the pinnacle of the profession. And it becomes difficult because you don't have outside the box thinkers for the most part. You don't have 
the guys that are willing to go and look at maybe a, a college head coach. And, and I know Matt Rule was hired this year, but that's a very, very few examples along that way. And so to me, once you get that collaboration and see if they these individuals who maybe weren't the best hires when it comes to looking at their resume, that's totally up to your opinion and if you believe that or not, you don't know if they can actually excel as a head coach or a general manager until they're placed in that position. And that's why I preach patience with all of this, because there's no point in getting riled up until you can see how some of this starts to trend. And and that's all part of it. And everybody thinks like we're so pro what this new regime is. No, we're pro alignment. We're going to get to just a little bit more here with Brent. Guys, open pit barbecue. You're in around Vermilia. Vermillion, go check out my guy, John Vaughn. Uh, John, one of the reasons we first started bonding was cooking a meat. <laughs> Food is good. Meat is good. John knocks it out of the park. You know, has his signature specials of the week. You know, usually Browns related. Go check out Open Pit Barbecue. Go in with John. Have a nice meal. Talk some Browns. And be sure to tell him, Locked On Browns. Sent you on over. Brent, he's been on fire. So, I mean, is, you know, I'm going to give you a chance here for like a closing testimony. Anything you need to get <laughs> off here? I mean, Brent, as we get like a couple of minutes left, but man, you've been on so, fire. And and I love that when I get to do this for you because you're smart. Like, it's like, all right, here's, all right, here's what I'm going to give you on social media. And now I'm out. Well, I was going to say I'm ready to watch the XFL this weekend. Oh wait, that's not that's not what you're looking for. That's that's not what people are ready. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of stuff I've had, I've discussed ad nauseum, and anyone that follows me on social media or the Orange and Brown Report, it's not as much of my Bleach Report because that's more of a league overview in, in my coverage. Yep. But when I'm looking at this organization, I, I'm seeing something I haven't necessarily seen. And I, I, I'm saying that honestly. I think you hit the nail on the head, Jeff, when you when you stated that I'm not necessarily rooting for them to succeed I, I or that I, I am a fan of the hires. That's not the point. The point is organizational alignment, the structure in which the Cleveland Browns operate. That has been at the heart of the issue for years. And when that is ac- accurately and and addressed for the first time ever, that's when you'll start seeing wins accumulate. And so that's what I want people to watch closely for. I don't want you to worry about, is it your guy, his guy? How's he doing? Did he fail? Maybe the other guy, Robert Sala, won in the playoffs, and now he's the 49ers are still doing better in the Cleveland Browns, so on and so forth. Stop looking at it in that manner. Look at it from, from a meta point of view where you're considering the aspects of synergy within working relationships. And now I'm starting to feel like I'm giving a dissertation on proper business <laughs> practices. But to an extent, that's, what, that's where the Cleveland Browns have failed over and over and over again. It's just, just the common courtesy of working hand-in-hand with your fellow employees that seem to fail Cleveland so very often. It's the little things, right? It's the fact that you don't necessarily like the person you're working with, but you can still be professional enough to get the job done. Now, I'm not saying that's the case in every single instance or that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry don't necessarily like each other. They do. 
And there, there's a, a burgeoning friendship there based on last year's uh, interview process. Just allow this time to blossom if it's going to do so. Reserve judgment until it's deserved. And I think to me, that's, that's the biggest takeaway here. After 20 years of seeing the Cleveland Browns fail, knowing all the different situations we've watched, how can you look at this and think to yourself, well, they're just going to fail anyway, so why should I watch the Browns? Well, then if, that, if you have that fatalistic point of view, there's no point of discussing the team. There's no point of watching. There's no point in covering them. There's no point of, of anything because, yes, Jimmy Haslam's problematic. He's always going to be problematic. He would have been problematic if it was Stefanski, if it was McDaniels, if it was Salah, if it was Biannimi, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Take that into consideration, right, and just watch to see how these guys work together and if it will be enough to finally pull a team out of the dregs and at least into competitiveness towards the postseason. And and look, and, and like we did here on the show when John Dorsey got the job, you take everything as it comes along. Good things are good. Bad things are bad. Um, when the bad starts to get to be a higher total than the good, that's when you got a problem. And, you know, and the other thing as far as this regime, and Brent, you know, you've got kids you're married. I've got kids. I'm married. It's like, what the hell do we get, get through the day? And all right, well, this is what the prior, to, you know, what, what we were prior, you know, prioritizing. All right, this one's got to be here. Oh, okay. That's a long ride. So somebody's got to be, adjust- and it's just, just working together to make it all work. And when you essentially have some people at the top where it's, well, I'm not so concerned about everybody else. I'm kind of concerned about me. It's a recipe for failure. And that's how we keep, getting back here um but brent it was been a blast we're gonna do this a few more times um guys make sure you're checking out brent's works brent's work over at the obr the orange brown report brent jared obviously lane all the guys over there are doing a great job brent's work over at the bleacher report make sure you're following him at brent sobaleski on twitter all lowercase the show itself at lockdown browns uh me personally at jeff underscore lg underscore lloyd Appreciate you guys. Uh, this has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LOB.